Hello, beautiful. Welcome to Magical Realness, a Blythe Mitrals podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Marie, a life coach, podcaster, designer, and the founder of Blythe Mitrals. <laughs> what you need to know about me is that I'm a little quirky, the spiritual, crazy chatty, and uber passionate about living in true alignment and the art of simpatico. I believe deeply that magic is real, potent, and rooted in choice. Magic is all around us. All you have to do is choose to see it. Dive in with me as we look at actionable steps, books, and conversations that help you live a magical lifestyle in which serves you. We're currently in the season Spirituality 101, where I give you the introductions needed to help you dive into the spiritual world and become aligned with who you truly are. If you'd like to dive in deeper with a budding community, we now have the Blythe Mitrals Patreon, focused on bringing you monthly support and tapping into your alignment. Whether that's through leveling up that wardrobe, fine-tuning your soulpreneurship, or getting crystal clear on what makes you your magical self. Once we get our first 15 Patreons, we'll start to release bonus episodes, gab sessions, and whatever else delights the Founding 15. If you want to be a part of the Founding 15, head on over to the Patreon and subscribe today. You know it's going to be epic. And with that, I say, let's get started with today's episode. Woo, thank goodness, that took forever. (laughs) My friends, my friends, my friends, this topic, this conversation has been a long time coming, right? We started the archetypes with human design. We then talked about astrology. And now we're about to get into tarot. Uh, tarot. Uh, tarot. (laughs) And, uh, the reason why I'm bringing this vibe, this energy forward is because this is when I consider we get into the sexy spiritual practices. We have work so much on grounding ourselves, understanding what it means to go inward. And we have slowly inched along forward until we have gotten to this point, this kind of transition point um, through the archetypal systems. But the archetypes in general um, don't simply encompass what tarot does. Tarot is really expansive. And what makes it expansive is how you choose to use it, how you choose to tap in. And it has a really interesting history. You know, it's people have this reverence for it, yet they're meant to be played with. So it's it's a really interesting tool of communication, and I am just really looking forward to sharing with you all such a beautiful practitioner, someone who really excites me, Sonyu Estelle, and Sonyu, what's so great about her? Well, first off, she identifies as the word witch, and she is very intentional about the words that she 
says that she shares that she energizes with her intention forward and that's something that I have picked up myself in looking at her content and what she does and and the way that she she holds herself and regards herself and I absolutely love it so this will be an interesting for sure conversation meeting with Sonyu who clearly obviously (laughs) if she's talking about tarot with us practices tarot amongst other things. So the best way to start poking around at this point is just to go to her Instagram, I think. Go to her Instagram, go go to Sonyu Estelle, and check her out while we are gabbing away because, again, she's got some really juicy stuff for us. So without further ado, let's talk with the word witch herself. I'm going to bring Sonyu Estelle right now. And now we have beautiful Sanyu with us here. I have been really, really looking forward to this conversation because, okay, Sanyu, I know we've talked about this before, um, but I think that this is like the start of when we get into the sexy practices of spirituality. So yes, to have you here is just such such a treat. I was so happy when you agreed to be on the show with me. And I just, I'm just, I'm so happy. Girl, I'm happy. Thank you for being yeah. here. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Happy, happy. At end of the year too. So yay. Yeah. Magical today. It's, it's, you know what? I really do. I feel like it is a magical time because I think that people are starting to recognize that there is no real sense of normal anymore. Mm-hmm. And so for people to accept that and move through that and for us to step into a whole nother area, I mean, it's not going to be easy, but no. <laughs> but I, I'm excited for it. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Yes, I am also, I mean, there, um, it's going to be a lot of year, just like this year was a lot of year. So it will be hard to even recall what happens by the end of next year, but we have lots of time before then, so yes. no worries. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, yeah, so so as I was saying before, you know, I think that tarot is, for me, I, you know, I maybe this is also me projecting my own personal experience, mm-hmm. but I do, be, I do see it as kind of one of those sexy practices. And, and what I mean by the sexy practices is that, Sometimes we jump ahead to starting to read tarot, which isn't necessarily wrong, but to be able to understand tarot or whatever other practices you want to dive into, you see other people do and you're like, oh my God, that looks amazing. That looks so fun. Mm -hmm. You need to have that sense of self. You need to be able to go, you know, internally to really get the, the depth of the meaning and the messages and you, you know, to be able to tune into your intuition and be able to sense what what to pull, what to draw, or what, where to move mm-hmm. next, I think is really important. And so sometimes we we jump to tarot and then we pull out maybe we do a, we do a, a spread or whatever, and it's like, well, what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> you know, so how you know sensing through that and moving through it too is is tricky. And I think that it also can be really daunting. I know that I was daunted for a really long time on the idea of me drawing tarot and I just was kind of scared by it. Like, am I worthy? So it's, it can be a big thing. Yeah. Worthiness. I definitely didn't approach from that 
um, sort of knowledge background. And obviously, not obviously, but like 10 years ago, not only was the internet not what it is today and the accessibility to all this information, what it is today, but also the way that I came into it was not from a technological standpoint, which is funny. I, I mean, I wasn't like planning to speak from this angle, but I do think that access to information um, can make uh, jacks of all trades and, and masters of none in the sense that you in the past had to like check out a book or have access to whatever you had access to without much choice in the matter. And so you sort of had to be studious with what you had before you came ac across anything else. And I think that I came into tarot sort of from that lineage. You know, I didn't come into tarot with a seriousness. I came into tarot with a curiosity. I had a good reading from a mentor who's still a mentor, who's one of my first teachers, who I've still never met in person because whatever is going on with my astrology, I seem to have like an interesting technological mentorship thing going on where people throughout my life who have been teachers are also people I've never met or spoken to. Um, but she gave me a really accurate reading. And so I became curious about tarot. And at that time, I think you could only buy tarot cards to my knowledge. Although now that I'm a, a more versed tarot reader, I'm like, oh, there's so many other places I could have bought decks. But where I ended up buying a deck, I guess almost 11 or 12 years ago, is probably Barnes and Nobles, one that still existed yeah. um, in my in Los Angeles, where I was where I was studying at the time. So meaning like tarot, I'm from Los Angeles. I wasn't studying here, but, um, <laughs> so, uh, I, so I will say I did not come into tarot with a great deal of knowledge or necessarily even interest. I came in with some curiosity mm -hmm. and spreads tend to come with decks. Um, and they didn't really speak to me too much either. And I, and it was sort of a fumbling around. I, I tell most people that like the first five years of my practice were sort of just like fucking around with tarot because I didn't understand the value of it yet because I had not had the quality of relationship with the deck that I needed to have. But then when I moved to the Netherlands in 2013 and I... I went to this, um, the Kotwinkel or something like that, the black cat or the the cat winks. I don't know, something like that. There is a store and I ended up finding the herbal tarot. And when I found that tarot about five years in, that's when tarot really became like relevant for me. So I would say I'm like the opposite of that, right? Because not of you, but of people who come in and they think like, there's this way to do tarot and this is the only way to do tarot. Like I didn't learn from that. I bought a book. I read what the book said. And back then, at least the deck eyes I was attracted to at the first few decks um, were decks with like very thin booklets too, which at the time I don't think I appreciated, but in retrospect, I appreciate a great deal because I think at the time I felt like, the cards didn't say anything to me because there wasn't much to read off them, off those like little two word explanations of each card in the tarot. Um, but I didn't attach myself to any card 
for that reason. And it's funny, even when you were talking in the beginning, I was like, oh, you know, because we're going to talk about archetypes. I was like, it's funny because maybe if you have some knowledge of tarot, which now it's very easy to have, it's very accessible through apps and all that and through the internet, you might have an impression already of a card before you even get to a deck. Mm, yeah. I didn't have any impressions of the, I mean, I knew there was a death card and an emperor card and a fool, like, but I didn't know what any of that meant outside of what I assumed from the word or the language. And in f- before I ever, before tarot was ever a real consideration in my mind, I have to say, it was the eight of swords that followed me around for quite some time. I found it at my first burning man in 2009. It was randomly on the ground. And then I would always find like eight of diamond cards. Mm. So I always like, I wasn't even followed around by a major arcana. Now my card, interestingly enough that it's been coming up for maybe seven to 10 years is the hero font. Actually, I should say seven years is fair is the hero font and that's next year's card. So I'm oh. interested to know if I like I graduate that's the year of like the the tarot of the year I guess according to western calculation. So I look forward to seeing what that experience is archetype wise. Wow. Yes. It'll be Ooh. interesting. I mean this was a what was this this was an emperor year, I think. Although for me personally it felt like a justice year. You know, I ugh. So I would say that for me, moving through tarot, um, when I finally did, um, you know, start using tarot, um, I was told that, you know, it's it's a myth, that you can't buy your own deck. And so a friend of mine wanted a tarot, you know, wanted to start practicing tarot, start reading tarot. And so I was like, okay, well, don't get yourself a deck. I'll get it for you. I'm very worried. And I was like, I'll get it for you. And, uh, so, so I went and I, I bought him, I bought him a deck and he started drawing, um, pretty regularly. We, we were hanging out a lot at the time with another friend of ours and, uh, you know, he would always turn to me and he goes, I don't understand what this says. Can you tell me what it is? And I'd be able to look at the card. I say, give me like a word or give me something. I was like, oh, okay, well clearly this is referring to this part of your life. And so it was just such like an intuitive download, which now, I mean, <laughs> We'll get to this later, guys, but it turns out I am very psychic, so there, you know, I wasn't, like, really tapped in at the time at that, but it's, like, probably, like, right at the beginning of my Great Awakening. Um, but, you know, my point is, is that I'm, I'm able to, like, you know, lay out a few cards, and, you know, I, I may not know all of them, but as soon as I hear, like, a word or just, like, you give me, like, two seconds on it, and I'm like, oh, boom. Okay, well, I've got you, like, 5, 10, 15 minutes on what this card exactly means in your life. So for me, it's always been really intuitive. Um, and my point in that is, is, man, that was a long point, uh, is, <laughs> is that I didn't know that each year had, had a tarot represent representative well that was a really messy way of saying it i didn't know that there was a tarot card for each year that's really yeah i think you reduce the the like solar gregorian number down to either one or two digits and that sort of determines it however i think there's a natural rotation like i don't know who's counting because i i'm not but like (laughs) but um there's like a natural sort of cycle where because obviously the cards rotate and I'm not even sure if it's like only the archetypal cards, right? According mm. to this this philosophy, I've not asked because I've not really 
Like, I understand how this was an emperor year for, like, the United States. I understand how it was, like, an emperor year for institutions. I understand how that happens. But for me, like, and for so many people this year, because it went from linear to multidimensional in the obvious realm, where, I mean, it's always been linear and multidimensional, but, like, that became so apparent to people. And, um... And so, like, I was not even in the, 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 how shall I say this? I was not in the most commonly experienced world of COVID and 2020, simply because my dad did die in January and did not die from COVID, as far as we know, although I guess we'll never know now because he was cremated. Um, and so when like all this shit happened this year for me. I wasn't shocked because I was already in shock. Mm, right. <laughs> so I was like, when everybody started freaking out this year, I was like, oh, everybody's sort of like on the level of intensity that I feel, but I don't have those sort of reactions. And that's an testament to my own practice, which is more I'm learning now. Of course, it's definitely very like uh, word-based, but that's more to say like communication-based. Um. And, and I'm learning that more and more now that I'm taking ASL, right? Because it's not, it's not really like word-based, it's context-based. Um, and that has been a really interesting experience as someone who study, has studied etymology coming from English. But so much of my intuition in tarot, just like you've discovered, oh, I'm psychic and the cards help me, but like that's not my actual primary tool. My right. primary tool of my psychic is psychicism or psychicness. Right. My... <laughs> Mine, I call claircognizance, but like claircognizance is just to say clear knowing. And and it comes in many forms because I actually haven't been drawing cards that much recently. I have one deck with me right now, but I was instructed not – I was pulling cards almost all year, just like a card in the day and a card in the night depending on the deck, which is unusual for me too because I will say coming into tarot, my practice was casual. I did not have the – for me, I think deck relationship is – a extremely significant and important um, for readers. Obviously that doesn't, isn't true for everybody because some people are not really calling upon the relationship with the deck so much as using it as an, like a, like a springboard um, from which to derive like symbols and knowledge that just then give them the footing. Whereas if I don't like the images in the deck, I don't see the symbols. So, like, it's not enough for me to just have a tarot deck. I mean, now these days I could probably pull something and tell you something, but I wouldn't get as much pleasure as out of it. So you probably wouldn't get as much information out of me. Mm, yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, for, so for instance, like most of my first decks, I'm a first generation kind of long story. Um, Belizean, Ugandan, Angelino, right? But like most of my first decks out of general ignorance of the great world of decks and also just like the fact that deck choice for me is important were writer weight, Anglo-Saxon, more like um, Celtic based decks. I have Celtic ancestry. So actually that spoke to me and I still have one of the first decks I ever bought that I never actually very used very much initially that deck. I didn't understand very well. And now that I'm a, a more practiced tarot reader, even though it was like maybe the second deck I ever bought, I use it in this period of my life more than I ever did like 10 years ago. Oh, wow. So when I discovered the herbal tarot for whatever reason, 
plants were really speaking to me at that time. I had been dreaming a lot, which is a, a huge part of my divination is dreaming um, because I've written down my dreams since like kindergarten, basically. So not every day, but like consistently. So I, um, I had been dreaming about a lot of plants and stones and like stones and plants would be telling me their names in my dreams or I would just like know names of Whoa. things that I had no business knowing. So I'd be like, that's interesting. So when I came across <laughs> this tarot, it was very effective in that I found the, the reading of it interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so the reading for someone who I didn't know wasn't so much a guessing game as like a conversation that I was having with the deck. And when it became a conversation with the deck, then it was more successful for me because I have to say that like, I'm the kind of reader, like I'm, I'm not a career reader in the sense that my objective is to put myself out of a job. Tarot cards are cool. They're beautiful. I'll make a few. I'm sure I'll keep them around. Always. I'll always pull on them. I won't always need them. And because the point is sort of like to pass them on, which is why it's interesting. It is in certain deck traditions obligatory to be gifted or to discover. Mm. And But that depends on the – you actually have to like be raised in that tradition for that to be relevant to you. So otherwise, you go in – well, you whatever. In the, in the old world, you would go into a store. But now you go onto the online whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, or you just look up something that you find interesting – like runes, tarot, African runes, tarot, sigils, tarot, geometry, tarot, and and then the, the World Wide Web will bring to your fingertips a deck that speaks to you. I happen to think that's important if you're not already in tuned with your like your clairs or your or your cognizance, simply because it will make it more personal personal to you. It should yeah. like you don't just buy a Rider Waite tarot because a lot of people read Rider Waite. Like those images might not mean shit to you. It's a lot of blonde people. It's a lot of like <laughs> naked bodies. It's a lot of like twelve hundred medieval sort yeah. of um, imagery, right? Yeah. And for some people, that is boring as sin. Like if you don't like reading like Jane Austen and shit, that may not be interesting to you at all. Right. So like you might be more interested in a deck with like fairies or with geometrical shapes and no bodies or with like just symbols or in my case eventually down the line of course I want to make a tarot with words so there I think that's the thing that made me a good reader other than the fact that my personal practice of just like being honest with myself right like the first five years I was doing readings I wasn't like trying to charge anybody because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing but when I got the deck that started to make sense my ex who I was living with in Europe at the time is actually one of the people who encouraged me because he would have me he was fascinated by it and by my interest in it but not enough to do it himself Mm -hmm. but what he found interesting was every time he had a friend over he'd just be like let her read your cards you know it was a novelty to him and his friends didn't care and Greeks, he was Greek too, from Greece. So like Greeks are also, they have their own deep history of believing in divination and dreams and they'd like to see whether it proves itself. They're not necessarily skeptics in that regard. Mm-hmm. So he was very quick to have me read for his friends rather than other cultures or if I even had a partner in LA or friends in LA or family members who would have been like, that's sin. Like put that down, right? Like I didn't grow up around people like that. So 
reading for his friends is actually how I realized I had any accuracy at all. Because I have to say, reading for my own friends is something even that I don't even do as an offering. I let my friends ask me because my whole thing is like, if you don't want the advice, I certainly don't want to give it to you Mm, as a friend, particularly, or as a family member, as a lover, because like, I'm gonna hold this opinion regardless because it's (laughs) my job. And like, if you don't give a fuck, then you don't ask me as a reader because you're not going to give a fuck that I care as a person. Right. And that's a mixed message. Right. But like reading for his friends, I didn't know them well. So afterwards, he'd always be like, how did you know that thing about that person? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, something such and such, this, this, and this happened a few years ago. And that also was true. And I was like, oh, well, I have no fucking idea. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just that I looked at the, just like you, right? I was at the, at that point, I had found a deck that when I looked at it, I was speaking to it. But that's not necessarily like innate for everybody on any deck. So I think, especially with tarot, because they're all the same as opposed to Oracle cards, which I know we'll talk about later. But like with tarot, I think you need to first find a theme that you find at least not abhorrent or boring or irritating. Like you don't want to be pulling cards and then be judging the art, you know? Oh, aesthetics are very important. Very important. Yeah. Because you'll make up stuff about why it can't be accurate because of how it's displeasing to you. Mm-hmm. And because tarot is a 100% consensual relationship, it's like if you're doing something that's 100% optional, please enjoy it. Please do not approach it from some servitude, hierarchical suffrage not to be confused with suffrage, but suffrage type of like, standpoint because then you're that's how you're going to read you're going to read from that hierarchy you're going to read from that suffering you're going to read from that critique which is how you can get to readers who are like oh the death card not that they take it literal but they're like it must be bad or right 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 three of swords oh is it heartbreak and it can be something so far removed from the obvious which is like when, you know, that's when you get more seasoned in cards or seasoned in your experience of trusting yourself in that experience. And then readings get deeper and decks mean different things to you. And over time they say different things and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. I I completely agree um, about the cards as far as, well, I mean, like I'm listening to you, but where I can agree, <laughs> like, you know, I'm not learning. Um, is definitely about what the the meaning of the cards, right? Like the cards are just a representation and yeah. it's what you bring to it. And also we all have shadow. It's, mm-hmm. it's within us. There is no light without the dark. So to be afraid of the shadow within you is, is pointless, right? It's just avoidance and it's, it's, it shows an ignorance. And so to project that onto a card, which is a card and a form of communication, right? Then it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make any, doesn't make any logical, real, reasonable, reasonable or intuitive sense. And you know, something that's been following me, you know, I haven't, I haven't pulled for myself in a minute, but I would be interested to see if it does arise again. Um, but many times this year, what has been following me is three of swords. So funny that you mentioned it. Um, But for me, I think what was trying to 
I didn't pick up that message because I wasn't ready to hear it. And that's why yeah. it kept coming up. And I, I thought I was confused. I didn't understand quite what it meant. I was receptive. I was like, I will accept that I have received this. Um, but I don't understand why it is relevant. And again, it was just me not having the willingness to, or not have willingness. I just, just not even the ability to, to see beyond the meaning that they was trying to, to bring to me. And now looking back at it, it was, you know, so part of the reason why I'm doing this new year's Eve drop is because, you know, as I shared with you, um, in our communication, I had just suddenly stopped releasing episodes, any content, anything going on in general, because I realized that I was talking about alignment and I was talking about all of my juicy gems and all the things that I love talking about and helping people with and yada, yada, yada. But I was doing it at such a level and such an extension that now I call it attention grabbing techniques because I was overexpending my energy and I was expecting specific results. Um, and that wasn't appropriate because that's not how I work. It, I am a generator and the world, yes, needs to come to me. So it's human design needs to come to me. Mm-hmm. But the way that that happens is through my invitation of connection. I, mm-hmm. I have a gift of being able to connect with people and connect people to other people and to create groups and mm-hmm. services and communities, right? And so I wasn't leaning on that. I was leaning on, like, I was acting like a projector. And so, you know, with all those expectations and all of that coming forward, right, and me not engaging in, I need to reach out and invite others to come into my space because the generator in me has created this space. That's what it means to let the world come to me. But everyone works differently. And the way that I work differently is that I need to invite in that closivity, right? In my Enneagram, if you know Enneagram, not to like mention all of these different archetypes, but we are, you know, kind of talking about archetypes in a way, Um, you know, I'm, I'm one-on-one. That's my connectivity. And I was not relying on that and that's what the cards were trying to tell me they're like honey you're being that's what i i i am just so convinced now that's why it was following me it's like you're out of alignment and you don't you don't see it bitch you're spilling your blood yeah you yeah really really you're bleeding yeah you're you're a bleeding heart is that what they're called a bleeding (laughs) that would used to be an insult it's so funny i've been thinking about this recently because like whatever time is is infinite and so it's it's hardly real in the way that we try and to like nail it down onto a line right yeah well you know you you i again so like me moving intuitively and not knowing the t so that's why this episode is called the tarot t um (laughs) (laughs) i need I, i i need that herbalness um so uh not only did i not know that there was a tarot card for each year um, something that I'm not aware of or that I, I just I'm not sure of is, you know, the idea of, you know, what you did, the practice you used to do of just pulling a card in the morning or in the afternoon mm-hmm. or just pulling a card daily. And for me, that because I just don't because it's it's not with my intuition. My intuition doesn't tell me to approach that. So what mm-hmm. what is the purpose behind drawing a card twice a day, once a day or whatever a day? And kind of a general, is that a general thing or how do you tune in? Uh, I think it can be a general thing. I actually, it's funny because I don't, I don't initially approach the deck like that at all. Like the first, I'd say the first 
five, it's even more than that. Like the first almost 10, nine, 10 years of my practice, I didn't really have a relationship with the cards outside of when I read for others, especially because actually I didn't, I didn't mention this, but this is important. After I found the herbal tarot and I started finding out through my ex's affirmations and confirmations that my readings were accurate, I stopped reading for myself because I found when I read for myself, it wasn't clear. Mm -hmm. And when I read for others that it was. And so for the next five years of that initial 10 years of my practice, like core 10 years, I didn't, I didn't pull cards unless I had someone asking me or a client or unless I was pulling for a reason like, oh, I'll do a spread for the, I'll do a pull for the new year or a pull for the month or the full moon or something like that. Um, but then it became in quarantine, something that I began doing daily. And before then I would do it more like full moon, new moon, or maybe like once a year. And the purpose of that is to create, and I do recommend this to new tarot students now, funnily enough, even though it's not the way that I came up, but I recommend to them if the cards don't speak to you very clearly when you're reading for other people and you don't have one of those innate initiatory relationships, then it's important to track just general pulls. It's not really even a card for you that you're pulling every day and every night. It's just like, show me the energy of the day or whatever. Like show me something I should think about today. And if you start tracking that over days and then weeks and then the months, you will know for yourself you will start to get a sense by just building through osmosis data what card actually speaks to what. Like if you start seeing that the three of swords has come up in those particular situations, you just put it together like you put it together, right? Oh my gosh, shut the front door. Sanyu, Sanyu, Sanyu. Oh my gosh. Okay, okay. You know what's come up into my mind right now? <laughs> what? I, so I, I'm not that big of a fan of this movie, but my partner, Brian, he is like obsessed with the soundtrack. Obsessed. Um, and it's Arrival. Have you seen Arrival? Uh, I have been listening to the Arrival soundtrack too. And it's funny that you don't like it, but we could definitely talk about this. I like it and I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. Me too. That's the thing. That's why it will never be my favorite. Interstellar is one I of my favorites. I also recently watched that. Okay. So that's cool. Yes. <laughs> I, he, so I did not get on those, those movies or the kind of genre until Brian and I started dating. And he was like, I love these. You have to watch them. So I'm like, okay. And then I try to get him to watch my, like, 80s, 90s, you know, female, like, When Harry Met Sally and Working Girl and all those movies. And he was like, fuck no. And I was like, okay. So, uh, one-way relationship, <laughs> got it. But anyways, uh, <laughs> not the point. But the point is, okay, so you know in the movie where she's having to, like, decode and find mm-hmm. the way that their language works with one another – as soon as you describe that and as soon as you described what like in specific personal relationship, learning and in tuning into what each card means for you in those moments, bitch, that's what came into my mind. And I was like, brilliance, brilliance, brilliance. You just blew my yeah. mind. You just blew my mind. Yes. It's funny. I, I, I have was arrived. writing. A, I was, <laughs> you have arrived. It's funny. I was just talking about Arrival because watching it initially – made me really want to find a logographic language because that's the distinguishment of the language in Arrival. It's logographic, which means it's just like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs or like kanji, which is the cursive of Chinese and Japanese that everybody thinks they get the right language for on tattoos and usually don't. (laughs) And then also Hebrew, 
also Gallic, also Maya, also um, Nahuatl or Aztecan languages. These are all logographic languages. And a logographic language is a language out that is not linear, right? Like an image can mean a place, it can mean a word or three, it can mean a sentence, and it can be the title of somewhere that's well known or the title of a rite or something like that. So it's not based on phonetic letter spelling like most languages are from the Romantic and, and Latin and all, well, the same thing, Latin, Romantic, Germanic, all those languages that we English speakers speak from because English is a derivative of Latin and French and German and Gallic and all multiple indigenous languages and um, Proto-Indo-European. So what's interesting, though, about Arrival is that, you know, she speaks like Hindi and she speaks, uh, you know, Mandarin and she speaks Portuguese and she speaks all these languages. But the aliens speak a logographic language that is much more like ASL. Because oh. it's not it's not temporality based, right? So in ASL, they don't sign like ESL English Sign Language would be to sign as speakers, us people talking, right? And so it would be to say like, my name is this. But if you're signing in an indigenous and native speaking a a signers signage, then you would just say, my name, this name, this mine name, mine, this, you know, so you would not, and people would just put it together. Mm. So their attachment to communication is contextual, right? They're looking at who's speaking, how they're speaking, the history that they might have of this person or not, and then context of what is actually being spoken about. Whereas in our languages, and this is, is heavily influential on like tarot and all these things and the way we interpret it and approach it right from the scientific method where you are the observer and you have no influence over the shit. And so you come from this perspective where everything needs to be in the proper order in order to be interpreted, right? So if a foreign language speaker of any language comes and says, have I sandwich? You're going to make like in a traditional sense in um in like American English, someone's going to tell them that's not correct. And yet they are understood, which is the point of communication. Mm. Right. So it's yes. like arrivals interesting because it brought me to ASL and then watching it after learning ASL I was like, oh, this movie is completely ableist because she's not she doesn't speak ASL or, you know, she doesn't sign ASL. She doesn't read Braille. She doesn't read any of these languages. She doesn't read tarot. She doesn't read any of these languages that are nonlinear. She only reads phonetic, non-logographic language. So the irony is the author, I'm pretty sure his author is Chinese. Yes. And the, yeah. Right. So the that author in their indigenous tongue, who knows what kind of a book that is or what kind of a movie that would be because Chinese does have a logographic basis and could speak to it. Also is not as gender conforming, right? Like the difference between Japanese and stuff is that and, Engl and even English is that we don't say the table is masculine and the sun is is feminine, which is probably the opposite of what it actually is in like Latin Romantic cultures. And so it's even less linear, right? So we're, we're taking off all these linearities. Tarot's that way too. If you go into tarot thinking this is what the cups have to mean and this is what the the swords have to mean and this is what the archety the major major arca art 
what are they called? Arcana? Major Arcana. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the major archives. And this is what the major Arcana have to be. Then you're going to really cut off your ability to read because you're not going to be able to see the relationships between all the cards. And that's why I suggest to clients that you pull on a regular basis. Because like, if you don't have a million people who are just like signing up for tarot readings and you want to have a lot of experience, but you don't want to go soliciting clients, which can be, I, I don't suggest you do because like the whole proverb, when the student is ready, the teacher shows up is, is relevant. Meaning like, let the, t the student be in the place that they find you <laughs> like you're the, the trust that the teacher is not looking for the student. They just happen to be minding their own business and the students are there. So if you're approaching it from this linear phonetic way where it's like, it must be pronounced like this to be this, the death card must mean this. The three of swords is a notoriously hated card. For instance, the 10 of swords. I love that card. That card is depicted in across so many tarot in such striking ways, I find it very fascinating. But I, I talk to Corinna Rosella of Rise Up Good Witch about this all the time. But like, I think of the Ten of Swords as the medic card. Going to a bad place to do a good thing. Mm. You know, the medic is on the battlefield. They wear white so you can see them and you don't murder them. Because if you're on either side, they're healing you. Either way, that's the job of the medic. And so the medic to me is the Ten of Swords, which is like, I'm in this shitty place because things that are need to be done here that aren't shitty. And mm. someone who's not shitty needs to be here not doing the shitty things. Um, of course, there's a reverse energy to that. But like, ultimately, when I see the person carrying these swords, uh, or like, or in one of my favorite tarots, which is Manzel's, Manzel Bowman's tarot, where it's like a man with 10 swords in his back, looking up at the night sky. It's like someone who's very like, they, they know they can die. Like, that's a very serious role to take on, not from the lamentation perspective, but from, like, an elevated perspective, which is also why I was talking to you even before this, where I was like, oh, I've been getting, been beginning to think about the relationships between cards and all suits and, like, what are the, the one, three, five, nines of the circumstances or whatever, you know, if we're going to say it numerically. So Arrival, to me, has been a really interesting one, and so is Interstellar, and Interstellar, I'll, let me just say this really quickly because sure. I think it's in, important for multidimensionality. Please. Re re first of all, rewatching Interstellar, talk about an ableist film. It's very, Christopher Nolan makes it purposefully exceedingly difficult to hear dialogue in his films. So when I rewatched Interstellar like a week or two ago, I watched it with subtitles and understood so much more of the film, number one, oh. because of things that are said that are very important because there's actually not, an excessive amount of dialogue in this film. No, there's not. It's very intense music. Yes. And it's a lot of visuals. And so like the dialogue is extremely important, but because Christopher Nolan wants everything to be like immersive for a hearing person, he makes it really hard to read, which when you're talking about multidimensionality and time space, you really need to give people like language. Like you need to anchor them in, mm. or they're just going to be like, Ooh, pretty film. Wish I was tripping or whatever. And they're going to, you know, or they're going to hate the plot. But what I realized about it, is the love plot line, which is was loathed, loathed by critics and like loathed by people who wanted a sciency sort of like logical rationale to how he could end up helping in the situation. What I find interesting rewatching that after watching Arrival, after have 
learning ASL and then rewatching Arrival and being like, oh, this is ableist. In Interstellar, the white bread part of it, like, let's say how it got from Brittany mm, and Brit- how yeah, it got from yeah. Britannia okay. Okay. The to Britney, Brit- bitch. To Britney, mm-hmm. <laughs> how it got from Britannia to Britney, bitch. But like, the love line is a way of trying to speak spiritually, right? Like tarot, the writer weight was a way to sort of like harness, let's call it Nordic, what we now call white, European, non-Mediterranean. So let's call it like Northern, Western European, non-Celtic. This is so why it's so funny when you talk about whiteness, because you're like, well, when we get into the history, it's not very white except for this area that we're talking about, like this Germanic area. But the tarot was an attempt for whiteness to reclaim its spirituality directly, right? Like without a go-between via Catholicism, via Protestantism. Um, And so I find it really interesting because the love narrative doesn't make sense in a linear context. But when you think about the fact that existence is made out of what we would qualify as unconditional love, what I would say technically is dynamic neutrality, right? Like existence made Hitler's and Anne Frank's, makes Trump's and Barack Obama's. Yeah. So existence is unconditional in its regard. And so in Interstellar, they're trying to speak to that, the material of that, right? Like what is the actual physical makeup of unconditional love? And it get completely lost in that story. And in Arrival a lot of symbolism gets lost too, but it's because these films are made by people who do not have a spiritual practice that does, that is direct. And I think that's very fascinating watching them back because watching Gladiator. And so it's interesting because it's this man who has two idols, right? He has two little idols in the movie and he's praying to them and worshiping them and imagining them. And he's seeing Elysium and he's seeing his his dead loved ones, and he's seeing his ancestors, and he's understanding he's of both worlds. And there's this lack of that awareness in both Arrival and in Interstellar, which I think if you're a reader, especially if you're a reader, let's say tarot is in the more like fantasy genre, right? Sure, sure. Maybe if we did the I Ching or a more mathematical form of divination, of which there are many, astrology, right? Mm-hmm. That would be in more the sci-fi realm of, of storytelling. Right. Arrival, arrival, and it's the same way being a sociology major in college, it was the same way that at the time that I was a sociology major, they really wanted to make themselves a hard science, not a soft science. So they would lean away from, they wanted to be like psychology and they wanted to be recognized in the hard science. Like this is technical, this is true, and this is important. Where sociology had been shuttered off as that shit that people who care about people care about. And so when it, it tried to make itself harder, it started to say, you need to use quantitative research. You can't use qualitative research. You can't use your own field research. You have to use field research of people who've already had made, done field research so that there's data. And so there's this divorcing, this imagination that you have to divorce from all that is in order to be taken seriously or to or to be of authority 
Um, and I think that this conversation, this is why it's so easy to find terror right now, right? That's why there's a million people who can make their own podcasts about it. Because existence is like, what's that statement? The truth will let. It's like these things have to be, have to make their way out, right? And it can be through, like, for instance, in Interstellar, a way that that would have been more spiritualized if it hadn't been put under the guise of, like, white societal patriarchy is that the machine, the robot, right? Yeah, is the, is the higher consciousness of the main character. But because we don't understand that a machine, which is made out of existence, just like our organic bodies, can be as divine as a human life, the conversation then just becomes about usage, about utility, about hierarchy, about mm. relationship. Meanwhile, at the end, in the crux of that movie, the machine, this is how you know when you have the subtitles on, the machine is explaining everything that matters. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, it, you- it is. It is. He's, he is the one that is able to process exactly what's going on and to read it. And he has those capabilities to have those sensors on to take in that communication and that information and then to also relay it out instantaneously yeah. faster than what we're able to comprehend as humans. Yes. And then they think, and then the thing, this is the funny thing about this divorce, right? It makes no sense. And it's very funny. Our conversation has gone this way, but why not? It's like, if you could make such machinery. (laughs) Oh, no, Sonia. (laughs) And you are organic and you are conscious and you consider yourself autonomous and sovereign. Yeah. Then obviously the machinery would be in the likeness of you. And you are in the, like, you are in the likeness of God or like you in the likeness of existence or whatever, right? So it's like, there's always this in, in what, this is what we're learning under cis white heteropatriarchy, which is really just fascinatingly, I'm learning this, Machiavellian, like, ideas of, of have and have not, essentially. It's just like this idea that we're not a part of all everything that's going on and that if we are, it's somehow in the wrong of that expression, right? You are inherently sinful or you, you mean nothing because existence is apparently a hundred percent occupied with wasting its motherfucking time. (laughs) Apparently if you mean nothing and there's nothing but an infinite universe, we're in a universe that's just a shit, doer and a, and a time waster. So it's like all these things that people come into are robbing existence of its multidimensionality, of its spirituality. And that's the exact same perspective that will say to you, like, let's say the people who are leaning towards the high, hard science are going to tell you, tarot can't tell me anything mm. because it doesn't like, it's not connected to anything else. And you're like, that's, the craziest thing I've ever heard <laughs> because Truth. tarot is older than we are. Yes. Which is yes. why we have it. Yeah. yeah. So whatever it comes from predates us, but also like dreaming existence, whether you're in the waking dream, 
what we call life, whether you're in the sleeping dream, which we call being asleep, whether you're on the internet, it's all made out of existence. Mm -hmm. So like the idea of this divorce, right? Like this referential requirement to know how, right? As if books were not made after somebody put the knowledge in their mind and then like, and then someone genius invented the printing press because they were like, wow, never going to remember all this shit you're saying to me. And then, and then we have, we take it for granted now that who was your reference or who did you source on this or like, and that can be really important when it comes to cultural knowledge so that you keep the knowledge intact. Like right. there should be no reason you don't want to give or speak to the lineage where you might have directly learned a practice that you wouldn't otherwise know. Hashtag learning all of the sayings that Coco Chanel has, you know, that we have all idealized and have all loved <laughs> and keep using, even though she was a fucking Nazi and she wasn't the one who originated all those sayings, little black dress. No, she did not fucking come up with that. So stop talking about her as if she's this amazing person. And it's so fine that she was a Nazi because she did all of these <laughs> things fashion wise. That's what you really think. You have no idea what you're putting on your body, and what you're putting on the world. I get really heated about Coco Chanel and I just brought that up and I did that. To I myself. see that. No, no, I don't mind. And actually, I think it's interesting, right? Because I started by saying existence is unconditional in its love. Yeah. It makes Nazis and Coco Chanel's and it makes perfectly nice people who think they're nice, who wear, wear, wear Coco Chanel. And the question then becomes, and this is where yeah. tarot is important for me in divination period. And it's actually a new chapter of my practice what I've come to start asking myself, where does everything, where does it meet? I'm not so concerned anymore with where things don't meet. I understand that that's like kind of the most obvious thing, thing about them because people, especially on this planet, people are very quick to say what they do not. Um, but I think I'm more curious now, especially when I don't like people, even if it's more like oh, I don't really prefer your ethos or your ethics or like how you are, but it's not like I dislike you. I just, I have no attachment. I have no desire to be around that particularly. So now I'm extending that because I got that to a neutral place, right? Now I'm just thinking that about people who I have no particular feelings about. So now that I've worked my way to that line, I'm working my way further into the line of, okay, well, those I would call quote unquote enemies, which is really, I wouldn't call anyone that, but those who we could consider such people, you know, whatever, KKK members, rapists, whatever, those kinds of, I start to ask myself, okay, well, where do we meet? Mm -hmm. And not just at our humanity, that's too basic. Like that's obvious. It's a fucking given. It's only humans who keep trying to deny humanity. <laughs> It's like really ridiculous aspect of humanity that they don't want to, we don't want to be human. It's like the weirdest thing ever. But like, I keep asking myself that because that's really the higher calling, right? Like that's the mastery. That's the, the seventh dimensional star crystal princess of the 44th order. Like those are all the things that make people feel exceptional. It's neutrality that makes you feel exceptional because neutrality means you don't have any fucking stakes in the game. Mm. And, and that you can just keep your shit moving regardless of what other people are doing, right? So there's this quality of this now where it's like, okay, well, we can keep murdering people for not agreeing with them and we can keep deciding we have the right to 
end end other people's freedom for reasons and we can and we can make all these decisions like we've been making for tens of thousands of years or we can start to actually use the access that we all have to all this knowledge tarot all these things that like before we would have to go check out books or have someone in your literal bloodline who was either literate or who passed that tradition down to you and now you have the privilege like we all do of going on instagram and finding 1000 <laughs> very credible readers yeah. people with real gifts and abilities so it's like a real privilege in these days to be able to study tarot because you can start from everywhere. I like that your podcast wants to give people things in increments. Cause I will say most of my teachers work to do that. Well, most of my teachers were like, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none, pick something, get right. good at it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's hard. It's hard to kill your darlings. It's hard to say, I'm going to focus on one thing and I'm really going to embrace it because I, I think it is, I think we're seeing more jacks of all trades because we are divinely connected. And when we mm -hmm. have all that communication and all that, that information flowing through that we're able to tap into, sure, it's going to be in, in certain areas because of our life contract. But when it is so, you know, expansive and we're becoming more spiritually liberated, you know, it's kind of like, well, well, why wait? You know, just do it all. But then what that does is that actually prevents us from being able to engage further on a really grounded level so that way we can embrace that sense of I. We're actually, you know, as, as you use the word divorcing, by taking everything on on such a full scale, we're, we're actually divorcing our sense of I, and it's a sense of controlling mm -hmm. when we have been gifted with our spiritual liberation, our great awakening. And it's this really odd sense of balance and we think that you know by just choosing one we're gonna you know we are going to divorce ourselves from all these different practices but actually by choosing one we become closer to learning how to communicate deeply in all these different forms um in, in, a, in a more again grounded grounded level which is just such a mind fuck because that's just what i just said right there was so many spirals but, right paradox that's what it is it is exactly it's a paradox Definitely. Yes, because if, if one thing is everything, because infinity is all things, so everything at once. Right, um, right. Well, then, of course, you can access all knowledge from one tool if it's appropriate for you, right? right? And existence, and I always tell my clients, existence confirms through synchronicity, positive through synchronicity. It allows through neutral synchronicity, and it denies through negative synchronicity. Like, you don't have to ask. It will tell you. When you want some shit and it's not for you, it'll be like sand in your hands. You can lie. You can cheat. You can bend over backwards. You can act. You can pretend. You can be in denial and you still won't have that shit. But when something's for you, it's a deluge. It's a synchronicity. Oh, I was just talking about that. Oh, I just heard that song on the radio. Oh, someone just texted me about that. And so and then neutral synchronicity is just like there's no affirmation and there's no denial. Like you're clear to decide like it's a neutral territory. But what I think is important about what you said, particularly is you cannot hope to hold like the a fixed volatile energy with any sort of consistency or sustainability if you're not going to be transparent. Like this is the interesting thing about entering into an age of an Aquarian age and also in 
being able to be a master of all trades and a, or a master of none. It's like that knowledge that everything is connected, that knowledge that you can either go into one thing and find your connection to all things, or you can go across all things to see their connection to the one thing, you know, that's the paradoxical nature. So interestingly enough, what I'm seeing about transparency is like the more that you want to hold, right, knowledge, the more energy you're going to attract. And the only way to really hold for that knowledge is allow for things to be what they are. Because it, the way that that looks on a conversational level is like, let's say you say you know everything. Let's say you say you're a tarot reader. It's like you announce something in the family or in a community and, and the first person to speak up is the skeptic, right? Oh, prove it. Oh, show me. Teach me. Show me that you're psychic. Like, I, I, show me. Prove it to me. That's what so number? Am I, what number am I thinking about? What is this? What's that about? And so, in the transparency department, you would say, "I can't know everything." Mm, <laughs> yes, yes. You'd say, "I can't know everything." I know uh, what I say as a claircognizant person is, "I know what I need to know when I need to know it." about what I need to know it about. Snaps. One of my, one of my mentors would say, <laughs> the, one of my mentors says, the reason scientists always never know how to prove psychicness is because they don't understand that the efficiency of existence and the connectivity of all existence means that you need to choose the path of least resistance. So if you're thinking of a number and you want me to guess it, the path of least resistance is you just fucking tell me the number. But if you need to know something you don't know and you come to me, I can tell you because that's knowledge I can actually attain. If you want to know something you already know, I can't tell you. Right. Because right. the quickest bout of knowledge would be actually for you to tell me rather than me guess what's in your mind, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So the irony of the fact that tarot readers were called fortune tellers for so long and like that archetypal stereotype, I've had to tell so many people, even on like dating apps, I'm like, Oh, I read cards. Oh, like a fortune teller. No, I don't necessarily talk about fortune. Right, right. I can talk about the past. I can talk about the present. I can talk about your family. It doesn't have to, have to do with destiny necessarily. It doesn't have to do with money. It doesn't even have to do with the future. <laughs> so, you know, I think that the, the black wholeness, how you become a master, right? How you are a Lao Tzu, Jesus, Buddha, Hatshetsut, whatever, is that you end up saying to people, exactly what you do know that you do know and you stop pretending like you need to know everything and then there's room for all the mass so it's like of course I don't have all the fucking knowledge I'm not the only person alive why would I if I if existence only needed one person to have all the knowledge it would be so efficient as only to have one person and clearly that hasn't happened so then you have to start this is what I call suspending your disbelief but like, understand that the cards can help you. If it's not cards for you, maybe it's something else. If it's not every deck for you, maybe it's a specific kind of deck. And be good with that, right? Like not everybody needs to have 30 decks. Not everybody has to have a deck in every color or a deck of every kind or a deck of every creed. You have to choose what works for you. And understand that by choosing what you actually feel drawn to, you will be brought to everything you need to know. There's no like holy repository of knowledge. 
you can learn anything that's like even bibliomancy, right? Opening a book to a page. There are people who can do that and read your entire fucking life. I know somebody who does people's hair and specifically when doing hair gets psychic information. Oh, that's cool. Cause, yeah, because the hair is an antenna, right? It's like, but they arrange it that they don't actually need to know any of that shit until they're touching the antenna. Oh my so it's gosh. like, I never there's thought so many nuances. Yeah, there's so many nuances to like how a gift will show up. And because no two people are alike, no two gifts are alike, right? So like you might be a tarot reader and a tea card reader. You might be a, I have a friend who does palm reading and nails. You never know how those things are going to tie into each other. And so I would strongly encourage people, yes, of course, use tarot if it draws you to it. If it doesn't draw you to it innately, choose a topic that draws you. Stones, fairies, cats, ancient Egypt, art, all of these things have tarot decks and you can find them on the internets. And then once you get that, also trust that that's not the only place to get information, right? Like you're always learning through osmosis. The books came from people. <laughs> language came from grunting. Okay. Everything is a method of observation, but I think the more generous you are with allowing information to show up, the more intuitive you'll be. Mm, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I would totally agree with that. You know what you just said about the, I mean, I, I definitely was with you, but just the whole thing about the, the hair being the antenna. I mean, it just brings yeah. a whole new level to don't touch people's hair. Like, don't touch, don't touch their hair. And, um, just, just the way that you flew, like you are in such flow and in, and in movement through this. Um, part of me feels like it was just like a totally different episode. Like we were just <laughs> went to like so many different, different levels, you know? So to kind of like, I know we even talked movies. I know. I know. So to kind of like, just really like ground it and, you know, just, just kind of like a, a quick summary for guys, if you were in this and you just like loved what Sonia said, raises my hand, um, <laughs> you know, but are like, okay, but what are like those last, those last hits? Let's just move through them really fast. So if so, what I've gathered from you, Sonia. Okay, yeah. so we're gonna maybe do like a like this is like a quiz. Okay, um, mm -hmm. so the way that you read the cards is don't take everything so structurally. There is mm -hmm. light with the dark. There is shadow and there is light. There is goodness and there is bad. And we flow yep. and we are humanity and we are in union with all. Mm -hmm. So read through them with that approach. And with the knowledge that you will receive the message that you are meant to receive. If you're getting a fucked up message, you're not supposed to be receiving a message right now or you're not in alignment or you're not in the headspace. So it's just not going to come through. So don't force it. How am yes, I doing so if it's far? not clear, like don't look for meaning, allow it to show itself. Mm. And that might not be immediate, right? Like you might be like, I'm looking at this card so hard. Why am I not finding the meaning? Okay. Stop looking at the card. Go take a shower. Go wash the dishes. Marinate. And the meaning may strike you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be in front of the cards to get their intelligence. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Okay. What is – so it's fine if you want to call me out. But what is, what is your opinion <laughs> on, on having to remember all of the cards? I 
don't have all the cards memorized and I don't really feel like I need You mean to. like they're traditional what exactly. they're supposed to mean? Exactly. I still don't have that shit. You know, what I actually did and maybe you beginning readers will like this. If you can find one of the decks with the smaller book, you know, like a booklet, a tiny little booklet. What yeah. I originally did with that first herbal tarot after a few readings, probably after like a few months of readings for my partner's friends and then eventually my friends. Um is I cut out all the book card details and I taped them to the cards. And, and then I and then I bought a brand new deck of the same deck. So I had a naked deck and I had a tutor deck. And the tutor deck had all the writing on it and everybody who just wanted a casual reading from me, who I who were like friends and stuff, I would use that deck. But when I became a professional reader, I transitioned to the deck without the writing on it, but it was the same deck. So I also cheated, right? Because I'm cheating my eyes. I'm like creating an eye cheat. Every time I look at that card now, I remember after a year or after actually after two years of doing readings with the tutor deck, what text was on there, what, what herb was associated, what words, what keywords there were. So that's a good way to cheat if you're like anal retentive and you need that because I, whatever, with my Capricorn Ascendant and my Taurus Moon, it was very anal about that. But with my Pisces Sun, really gave no fucks. But like, I will say, I don't know all the cards. I don't know that you're supposed to know them mm, all. That's how I feel. And, that's how and I you're, feel. You know what you need to know when you need to know it, right? Because even readers have readers, right? Like they're, the cards aren't always going to make sense to me mm-hmm. and they're not always supposed to make sense to me. I'm not even reading cards right now except for clients and I'm back again, which is funny because I was only doing it for a year that I wasn't doing that. But now I'm back to what I was been doing over 10 years ago, which is where I don't touch the cards unless I have someone in front of me. So that's also an interesting practice, right? Because I have no preconceived notions with these decks. I'm not romanticizing or falling in love with the descriptions of any particular cards. And I'm not even looking at the cards if I don't have a client to pull them for. So oftentimes I don't even have a relationship to the card in any particular deck because I'm also a reader who allows the deck to pick the client. I don't, I have a lot of decks, but I don't let my clients pick their decks. I, I douse with my pendulum before every reading and I allow whatever deck wants to come forward to come forward, even if the deck doesn't make sense to me. I trust my decks. If that deck wants to be used, must be a reason. I don't fucking know. Yeah. So like I'm not making these assumptions and I try to do as much as I can to get it out of my own head. I don't like to be the arbiter of these things. I think a great reader, a great Claire, a great anything who is using a quote unquote sixth sense is a conduit. My prayers are usually help me get out of my own way so that I don't fuck up this reading with my opinions that are irrelevant just because I may not understand what I'm saying. Because I can't tell you how many clients I've had who are in situations I've never been in. Incest, sexual assault, war, fucking prison, all these things that I've never experienced. And if I, from my lack of experience, am unwilling to say something simply because it's not something that seems obvious to me, I'm going to deny that person of their reading in the way that they need it. So I need to get out of my own way 
which is why I douse for the deck. So I'm not politicizing shit and being like, this person is happy, so they should have the happy deck. Okay. Like I move my way out of that, right? And then I also let them talk while I shuffle, especially these days where there's COVID and no one's shuffling my decks. And I let the cards fall out. I check with my pendulum afterwards to see if I've the n- right number of cards have, have fallen out. If not, I keep shuffling. Um, I'm not I'm someone who likes to shuffle and let fall. I don't split the deck. I don't fan it out. Um, I did try those methods originally, and they just weren't for me. But if they're for you, go with it. I actually read mine. I just pull. I just go through them, and I wait till one of them gives me a pain, and then I pull out the card. Ooh, I don't. I love that. I don't draw it out. I don't. I don't worry about shuffling. I just wait. That's how I do yeah. it. It's really whatever your intuition says. But go, yeah. go keep on going. No, I love that method too. I also choose something. I will. I will say that I do because this might be fun for people who want to feel like they are doing something to clear the deck the way that I clear decks other than, you know, if I'm like going to put it under the full moon or whatever, if it needs cleansing, clearing and cleansing are different. Clearing a deck to me is what I do between each client mm. to make sure that the energy of one client and my energy with them in this case, cause I'm holding the deck is not there with the next client. So the way that I do that is numerically every deck I have has a different number of times it wants to be shuffled. And I shuffle it that number of times between every client. How do you know? Is it just cognizant Do you to know what number? Sometimes it's cognizant and sometimes it's a pendulum. Like I'll hold a deck and I'll think 14 and then I'll check. And then I'll check with the pendulum and if it says 14, it's a yes. Or if, if it doesn't say 14, then I'll say, okay, well, was that five, one and four, right? Like yeah. I'm not going to assume I'm wrong. And then it might say five or it might be like, or I'm like, oh, or is it five, zero, 50? Because time isn't linear. So I jump around and I ask I, and I inquire, but I inquire of my verification tools, which for me is my pendulum and technically the deck. Use the tool, right? Okay. Yeah. Here's the last thing I'll leave us on because it's a great, it's actually a, this American Life podcast episode uh, about Hamlet it is about Hamlet's the one where daddy dies, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's okay. avenging. Yeah. So it's a episode of This American Life with Ira Glass. God bless him, even though he ruined a generation of speakers. And because everyone tries to speak like him, even though he's, he's himself. But he basically has an episode where he speaks to a maximum security prison that puts on the fifth act of Hamlet. And they're all murderers and and serious and killers and stuff. And they're performing a, a play about murder. And it's something that they do. And it's been going on for decades. It's in the South somewhere. I don't know if it still goes on. But one of them, his name was, I think they called him Shark. Um, he sounded like a big black guy who knows what he looked like because it was radio. But he was basically talking about in Hamlet, he was like, you know, I don't understand all this debate in this book about whether the uncle killed the dad. And Ira Glass is like, what do you mean? And this is so fascinating. He's like, (laughs) and Chuck is like, he's talking to a ghost. Why would you hear the ghost and not believe what it's telling you? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. And Ira Ira Glass is like flabbergasted. He's like, I've literally in all my life and all academia never heard this debate. And it's, it goes right back to arrival and interstellar. It's like, if you weren't trying to divorce shit from spirituality, you would know this fucking shit. Of course it would take like a old, like a big ass sounding black man to just be like, I'm not going to talk to a ghost and not believe what it says. Then I'd be really fucking psychotic. 
if I see a ghost, I trust what it says. If I don't see a ghost, I have nothing to hear, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you have a pendulum, if you have a deck, you better start using a tool that you trust. Do not doubt your tool. Like, choose a tool. That's why I'm saying you need to have a relationship that you actually like the thing. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you will doubt. But I like lapis lazuli, and this has been my pendulum maybe for five years now through all the dropping and every time the chain broke and every time I have to fix it with a plier because it's the it's the one that wants to be used by me. And every time I'm done with the pendulum, it tells me. And this one's just wanted to work with me for this many years, so I deal with it. And then even if I like working with a deck, I was working with a deck of character, an oracle deck, all year, and then it's I was done with it. And I accept that too. But like, if you're going to use the pendulum and and you and you have established what is yes and what's no, and you feel comfortable with that, and what means not time yet and not enough information, trust that information, even if it's not telling you what you want to hear. And if you're using a tarot deck or an oracle deck that you really like and it's been giving everybody accurate readings, and you get a reading for yourself or for someone that they don't want to hear, after you've done the verification that you're a clear channel and you're not biased and you're not fucking up the information, then trust what it tells you, and. And then let that be the end of it. Because otherwise it's a fucking echo chamber and you can forever be like, oh my God, did I cut the deck at the right place? <laughs> and it's like you'll never end up reading cards that way. Like get onto it. Get onto the reading. Wow. Sanyu, just I feel a, an official confirmation because I feel officially that I have, I'm so tapped into you being the word witch. <laughs> the the knowledge this is this is going to be the longest episode on this this season and it is so full of so much more than than just what the tarot is it's it's so comprehensive and so expansive and it really challenges you to think or be in the moment and to look in new perspectives which again hits home what we talked about you know in the beginning of the episode right like the cards are the cards right and then what I reconfirmed just a little while ago right there is there is no light without the dark so the cards are the cards and Mm -hmm. just the way that we have moved through this has been such a joy and I say we and I've been holding space with you but really I've been witnessing you witnessing you in in your light and in your knowledge and in your wisdom and I am just so enchanted by you I was already just like I just totally on your team before (laughs) but now being in this space with you I'm just so I'm so enchanted I it's such a gift to be in this space with you thank you for gabbing with me and just having so much fun and a blast and listeners um if you were listening live then girl you're gonna be behind now because this is a long ass episode but don't you worry it's no big deal that's true but hey you should be at home so exactly you got time you got time so you should you should be at home did you hear that i agree you should be at home um but you know whatever you do you're working because you're essential (laughs) then thank you but otherwise listen to it and you're hungover on the first because you drank too much and fell asleep by 10 10 and didn't even make it to midnight, which is fine. Yeah. And also, no, no, it's been a great pleasure. But also what I enjoy talking about today, which I was not expecting to talk about personally, was that you you yourself brought up Arrival and Interstellar, which are literally <laughs> movies I watched in the past two weeks. Um, so psychic indeed. And, yeah. and also, ideally now, the next time you watch with your partner and you have different topics to bring up, he'll be like, 
whoa, did you watch this movie without me? And you're like, no, I just want you to know that that's his higher self. And <laughs> well, okay. So, so this is what's interesting. Okay. Just one more thing. Yeah, um, of course. with, so I, we just watched this like game show that we like to watch on YouTube. It's the, the English, it's like the countdown 2020 or whatever. These comedians okay. come together. It's really fun. If you, if you like comedy, we love comedy yeah. and, um, they just go over like trivia for the year. And it was actually for 2020, there was a lot of Trump questions, which was especially hilarious. Um, but anywho, uh, at, at uh, one point they shared all of these reviews for the tenant, which is also a Chris. I also want to see that. Yeah. yeah so I want to see it too but they were like shitting on this movie hardcore and I was like is this a really because he's so known for making all these amazing movies and so now that you've said that I'm like well maybe maybe it is fucking bad like maybe it is and I kind of want to see how bad it is now and just like judge the fuck out of this movie it's so funny I don't actually think Interstellar is bad I think they just did not get there because they're not spiritual people right so like they don't understand and yeah. like when he's talking about and sorry if uh, this is at the end so major spoilers hang up now but like <laughs> if, but like when he's in the tesseract yeah and he's saying they don't they see time as a dimension they can't find her i have to find her like you're not going to understand that outside of a spiritual context because you're going to literally try and think about it mathematically scientifically physically you have to think about like if you're such a futuristic being that what we see as a table for you is time, then like what makes up the table, like we're not looking at the the wood splinters. We're not thinking of the tree that was made to make the table. Like, so the kind of awareness that you have to have for the kind of principles they're bringing, which is the funny thing, they're not separated from their spirituality. They are writing these scripts, these brothers have this, just like the Wachowski sisters, they have this thing they're trying to communicate, right? Wachowski sisters, Matrix. Wachowski sisters, Cloud Atlas. Wachowski sisters, Sense8 on on Netflix, which I loved as a series. I think it's the best that they've ever done, the closest they've ever gotten to the spiritual ethos that they're trying to get to. I think Tenet's probably in that category, just like, um, what was it called? Inception. Mm. Yeah, right. Man. Also lambasted, also not loved. But when you're trying to see, they're trying to talk about these really multidimensional concepts, but they're not spiritual men. At least they're not advocatingly. They're not like I practice druidic paganism or I'm a Nordic. You know, they're not connected to these things. And so, even though they're they're trying to basically they're trying to talk about magic without talking about magic. That's the thing. That's the thing is that and so again you're the you are so the word witch because you're putting things together for me. You're 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 making me Sondland right now. You're putting two and two together for me in that um I feel that energy. When I watch these, I sit I, cause I you know, magical realness, guys. Come on, it's pretty oh, obvious. It's so magical well, realism. I love well. it. Um, you know, so so when I see those elements, I'm just super in it. But there's a sense of me that I'm just now putting together when I'm wa- – because I mean, you're experiencing it, right? But yeah. now looking back after what you said, I so am picking up on that. I'm picking up on their detachment and their um, lack of inclusion when it comes to the spiritual or like the divine side of it, which is what really brings it to full circle. So that's why it still is like this fantasy piece because – 
it doesn't include all of the pieces. That's why there's no like the the sense of reality in it. It's the pure sense of fantasy that we're not able to experience in everyday life and in magical realness because those pieces are missing. God damn it, Sonia. Yeah. You and are brilliant. People, and the amazing thing is this is why and critics don't know this. This is why people are disappointed. Because you're watching this epic, expensive hours of attention, thousands of people's labor and ideas go into this thing. And the same way we're trying to form society, right? Yeah. Like we get to after every election, we're disappointed because we want to see it actualized. We're like, we want to see the truth of us actualized in government, in film, in in books, in music. We want to see that what we would imagine in our stereotypical conditioning, the perfect performance. We want you to deliver on the mystery. We want you to give us answers we didn't know we were asking for. And the Nolans try. And when and if they become more spiritual, they will get there. But if you are spiritual and you watch these films, you'll always get there. Mm. And no mm. one's not, nobody is not spiritual. But like if you are cultivating your spirituality. Right, right, right. And you are watching these films just like Brittany and I through a casual conversation, you will find your way to the part that they couldn't get. And the film will take on different meaning for you because it's, we're all attempting to actualize and realize our connect connectivity. See, there you go. There you go. There you go. The energy, the divine where you you are in your practice and me and my practice and for us to come together again Anchoring it back to where I was just a few months ago. I would have never thought to have reached out to you. And this conversation needed to be had. This conversation needed to be heard. Again, magical realness, my friends. Okay, real quick. Sanyu, I want you to advocate for yourself. Where would you like people to go if they want more information on you? Or if they want to book with you, how can they work with you? Okay. The best and most consistent way to book me or work with me or to know what I'm doing is two ways, but I'll give you the more permanent way in the light of new information. I would say go to my website, which is sanuestelle.com, S-A-N-Y-U-E-S-T-E-L-L-E.com for the non-seeing and for the hearing. And on there, you can get a part of my newsletter at the bottom of the page. I have a newsletter. And so that's going to keep you in the most long-term communication with me because it's that website belongs to me. Um, but I update most often on Instagram. That being said, Instagram just changed its policies. It is really obnoxious anyway. I hate Facebook. I think I call Zuckerberg Zuck a dick. So, you know, there's, appropriate. there's, a, there's a lot of debate about whether I'll be on IG. But for while I'm on there, it's a great place to get information from me. And particularly just my link tree on there is probably the most updated list that I have. But it's also on my website. So I'm Estelle everywhere. That includes my website, sanuestel.com, my IG, Instagram slash Estelle. Also, my email, Sanyu at Sanyu Estelle, and also my Patreon. If you like Patreon, that's the only place where I'm really giving, like, sort of secret stuff. And it's because it's such an odd website. I kind of am curious. I'm, like, fascinated by everybody who makes their way there. So on there, I share 
love my love letter series that I've been writing for almost three years. And at this point, we're at almost like 40 love letters. And then I share all the reasons behind why I wrote each love letter. And love letters are to people, places, future versions of me, parallel versions of me, you, all the things. And I also share on there a monthly tarot forecast. It's the only place you can find it. And I also have a top tier available there for individual readings. It's the cheapest reading I offer, but it's also almost full. So those are all the places that you can find me other than this podcast. (laughs) Wonderful. I'm going to have all of those linked in the site show notes, guys. Remember, I know you guys know this by now, but it's going to be in the site show notes. It's obnoxious trying to read all that information on an episode show notes. I'm just not about it. So go to the website. I will give you all the links. You will have them. Also, she spelled it out for you. Um, So I say this every time, and I'm going to keep saying this, guys, because it's important. Sonia, especially this episode, huge, huge information, huge download. If you enjoy just even the gab aspect, but Ah. also just all of of the juiciness, all those gems that Sonia gave to us, what would be so amazing to give back in the energetic exchange is to share it on Instagram, share it with your people, let people know that you had this great episode, they listened to this great episode with Sonia and take it a step further. Reach out to Sonia, say, hey girl, you blew my fucking mind about those interstellar facts or whatever it is. I don't need to write the message for you, but I want you to, if you, if you feel it in your heart space, reach out and let her know that this had an impact on you. And for us to be in that simpatico movement of energy, that is probably the best way that you can move back forward and engage that and give that energy exchange back to Sonia. It's the biggest thank you that you could give. So, yeah. Thank you, everyone. Happy New Year to you. Um, yeah. If you listen oh, to us live, we yes, need to know who you are. Ex- <laughs> exactly. And the exciting thing is in within a week of this drop, I should have my first like musical artist single out oh. so you can decide through you can find it on my instagram and my website but you can decide listener if i am also a musical artist and not just a word which by talking yes <laughs> yes yes i love it i will definitely be tuning in and i will be checking it out and uh whew, i'm excited i'm excited <laughs> Well, friends, thank you for sticking in there with me. I hope you're having a great New Year's Eve if you're watching this, if you are watching this, if you're listening to this live. Otherwise, whenever this comes to you, I just, you know, I send you love. You got more episodes. I got you covered. And until next time, my friends, I'll talk to you then. Ooh, talk to you. Bye. (laughs)